Hey everyone, welcome to Unrefined Women. I'm your co-host Agnes. And I'm Margaret. This podcast is an ongoing dialogue between two sisters on the topics of spirituality, religious trauma, mental health, family dynamics, and feminism. We're very grateful you could be here today. Today we're talking all about decisions, decisions, decisions. And this episode was completely spontaneous. We had no idea that this is what we were going to discuss today. But these words were truly channeled through from our minds onto this podcast. Yeah, I remember we actually sat down to record this episode and we were going to record something completely different. We had plans to do a totally different topic. But I guess what we're about to talk about today was just kind of front of mind and some stuff that we had to get off of our chest. So I'm hoping that people can take something away from it. So the topics, as you said, decisions, that was something that we really covered in this one. So when we were talking about decisions, we were trying to decipher between right and wrong, because sometimes we get caught up in a decision and we're trying to make the right decision and we're really scared of making the wrong decision. So that's really what a lot of this was about and how that ties into our anxiety as well. So we hope everyone enjoys this kind of monologue between the two of us about the topic of making decisions and trying to figure out the right one versus the wrong one. And is there even a such thing? And how anxiety ties into that as well. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. And we hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Hey, Margaret. Hey, how are you? I'm doing okay. I'm hanging in there. How are you? Uh, same, I guess. Or oh, you said okay, though. Hanging in there. What's going on? Not much. I just feel like I don't know if it's something going on with like astrology, <laughs> but you know, some days like I just feel more, I don't know, just uh, a little bit more like pressure on my chest, you know? That's so weird because I have like pressure on my chest today too. Yeah. Like where it feels like, where it feels like an elephant's like sitting on your chest or something and it's like, like hard to breathe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're going to have to do some breathing exercises. I know. I'm probably going to be breathing a lot in this episode because I'm just like, I woke up today with so much anxiety Like I have the pressure on my chest, but also like my head starts to like race. And I have like this really unhealthy um, thinking pattern, I guess, where when I have anxiety, my brain starts to think about all of the things that I have to do and I want to do in like the next year. And I put all this pressure on myself to do it all today. I do not know why. I do this to myself and it just becomes like this domino effect. It just progressively gets worse. So I definitely feel like my pressure in my chest, like I have that and it's accompanied by a racing brain today. Mm. Now, how are you feeling? So you've got pressure in your chest. What's going on in your headspace today? I think I, I, you know, I'm young. There's a lot there's a lot of life changes when you, you know, in your early adulthood. And I think that it's, it's really scary for me. I, I had this weird kind of, um, thing where I hate settling. I don't want to settle. I don't want to know that I'm going to be stuck in a place or whatever for the rest of my life. But I also don't like knowing what's coming next, Mm. you know? Yeah. So I'm in this space where I have to kind of really think about where I'm going to be even like two weeks from now. And that's terrifying because I don't know what that is going to be. But then the thought of just settling and just being exactly where I am now is terrifying. So it's like I'm struggling on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, it almost sounds like you're in this place where you're afraid to make the wrong move. And that also mm. keeps you kind of frozen where you're not able to make any move. But that's also the complete opposite of what you want to do. Yeah. Oh, goodness. I'm really terrified of making. Can we actually talk about this right now? Making the wrong decision. Because 
That is something I was, you know, texting Patrick about this morning. And I was like, if we make this decision, then what if this is the wrong decision? What if everything in life gets fucked up because we made this decision? Mm, Okay. How long have you kind of had that sort of thinking process, like that, that fear of making the wrong decision and it derailing your life in some way? Honestly, probably my whole life. Oh, damn. I've always thought that way. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, this is really fascinating because Casey and I talk about this a lot. Casey and I are kind of different in this regard because I think Casey's a little bit like you. Um, and Casey, for anyone who's listening, that's my partner. So he tends to be very, um, very slow and deliberate in his decision making. And he's also a Libra. So he struggles with indecisiveness because he Mm. wants to research all the possible options to whatever decision he's making. And he really wants to make sure he picks the right one because he's afraid the wrong one will like fuck up his whole life. And then even once he's done a lot of research and he really gets in this like intellectual space, like really trying to logic his way through these decisions and trying to also connect that with like his intuition, what he's feeling. And he'll come to what he feels is the right decision. And this causes a lot of angst in our relationship. So he'll come to the decision. (laughs) He'll make the decision and start taking steps down that path And then he'll be like, oh, wait, is this really the right decision? And he'll start to like question his decision. And this will go on for a long time. So um, I tend to also be kind of slow and deliberate in my decision making. But once I make a decision, like that's kind of it. I don't tend to waste time, I guess I would say. That sounds terrible. But I don't tend to waste time reflecting on if I made the right decision. Because I already made it. Shit's done. Like, here we go. But I it came I, I had this realization with it recently and I went to Casey and I asked him, I said, Hey, do you think there's a such thing as making the wrong decision in life and having it like seriously screw up your life? And he laughed because he kinda knew where I was going with it. And he sits there and he goes, Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and I go, Okay. Because I've been sitting with this question and I kind of have come to the realization that the way I look at life and decisions, I don't think there's a such thing as making a wrong decision. I I really don't think so. Because to me, we make a decision and maybe it goes a different direction than we would have anticipated. But I don't know. I just feel like I look at my life and all the decisions I've made and I could look at some decisions. I've, I mean, there's been some questionable decisions that I've made in my life, <laughs> but all of them got me to here and I'm really grateful to be here. So clearly they weren't wrong decisions. There, there were some detours along the way. There were some lessons that took me way longer than they should have to be learned. But damn, am I grateful that I went that way. And I look at all the like jobs that I had in the past, relationships I had in the past, things that don't even really have much relevance to my life now. But I look at it with so much gratitude, like, damn, like that in some behind the scenes way helped build the life I have now. And I might not fully understand it, but I know that that was an ingredient to building this life. So how could that have been a wrong decision? How could that have been a wrong choice, a wrong move? So I just don't really feel believe that there's a wrong thing that's going to fuck up your whole life. If anything, there might be a little bit of a detour and you're going to gain some wisdom. And even if you go down a path and realize that, hey, that's the wrong path, I don't think it's time wasted. I think it's wisdom gained that then if you have to make another decision to go a different direction, you now bring that life experience with you. You have a whole new perspective. And I just think that's really exciting and cool. So I just wanted to share that, that kind of like interesting duality that Casey and I have, where Casey tends to have some of the same kind of thinking like what you just described, where he really will sometimes get hung up on a decision. And there's this fear of making the wrong choice and taking the wrong path in life. And I'm kind of over here like, no, there's no such thing as a wrong decision, (laughs) because it all ends up somehow tying into the bigger picture in some really cool, unique way. Yeah. 
Okay. That's really inspiring, actually. And Patrick's actually the same way as you. Like, <gasps> really? Yeah. He's just like, babe, it's fine. Like, <laughs> we're going to be fine. You need to stop stressing. And I'm like, what if everything goes to shit? And what if we're broke and living on the streets? <laughs> First of all, He's, you have eight siblings. That is never going to happen. Just FYI. Well, the thing is, though, like, I want to be so independent. Like, I, my entire life, I've just, I've always wanted to be good, you know? Like, I've always wanted to make enough money, be strong enough, have as many resources as I can to just, like, be, be, like, be able to take care of myself, you know? And not have to go to someone and ask for help or, have someone take care of me that's been really hard for me kind of throughout my life of having to like live with siblings or live with family members or ask family members for help that to me is like humiliating in a way hmm that's interesting I'm just sitting with that when can you remember like when you first started to believe that like or started to have those thoughts of I have to be independent and it's humiliating if somebody else has to take care of me or help me with something that I think or feel that I could help myself with. Can you can you recall a moment when that first yeah that program first got installed? I think probably back when I was 14 and when mom had left dad. And we went to live with a family member. I was going to community college for the freshman year of high school. And that's when I really started kind of looking at my life in a very different, that was a huge life change for me. And seeing the struggles that my mother went through, leaving my father and the financial burden, the emotional stress, everything, like I, you know, I looked at that and I was like, I don't ever want to have to go through that myself. And, you know, I was in, I was going to school. I had a lot of ambitions, a lot of, I set really high standards, standards for myself. Like I wanted to go to the best colleges. I wanted to have the best of everything. And even when I lived with you that one summer back in, what was that? 2017. Mm -hmm. I, even saw, you know, I lived with you while you went through your separation or your divorce. And I, I just, I was like, I'm never settling. I'm never going to depend on someone else. And I want to be able to take care of myself and be good. Now, fast forward after high school, I went and lived with some family members in Illinois and I really had to essentially, like I, I was becoming an adult, I turned 18 and I had to rely on other people. I couldn't afford to live by myself. I, you know, I had to start relying on other people. Same thing with moving out to California. It's expensive, like life is hard. I have to rely on other people and, you know, have other, like let other people help me or take care of me. But I hate that. Like it just, you know, to be brutally honest, like it, it just feels crushing to me to know that as an adult now, I'm not able to have what I wanted back when I was like 14. I always like look back at the way that I thought when I was 14, like, when I turn 18, I'm going to be fucking good. I'm going to go to the best colleges. I'm going to have a nice job. I'm going to like save my money and do all these things. And I look back at myself now and I'm like, well, I didn't do any of that. Like I'm doing a lot of really great steps. I'm in college. I have a somewhat nice job. Like I'm doing what I love, but I'm also not as like secure as I expected myself to be. Mm, I can relate to that as well because... I think sometimes I'll reflect back on when I was a child and the things that I would fantasize about, you know, and the life that I was going to create for myself. And then I look at the life I have now and I love the life I have now, but it's completely different from what I fantasized about as a child. And 
I have kind of like a strange love hate relationship with with that when I think about it because sometimes I'll I'll think of those fantasies and I'll compare it to my current life and I'll be like oh like little Margaret would be so disappointed because I didn't like go to a prestigious music conservatory and I'm not a performing concert violinist because that's what I wanted to be when I was younger um like little Margaret would look at me as a violin teacher and be so disappointed. Like I fell short. Um, and so I look back and I, th- I think about that, you know, and I also feel like when we're small children though, and especially like our home environment we had, I kind of recognize that some of those fantasies that I had were never meant to become my actual reality. Those were, the stories I had to tell myself to just help me get through because it was hard. Like it was really hard when we were kids and we were in an environment that was not very supportive and very loving. And so I feel like each of us in our own way had our fantasy and story that we had to tell ourselves just to help us get through, to have something to live for and something to give us purpose when everything was falling apart. So I'm trying to appreciate my own story like that, my own fantasies that I had. But something else I was hearing too, when you were 14 and you experienced mom and dad's divorce, you know, because you were still living at home. I was already, I was married at that point and had Brayden. So you were there when it happened. And do you feel that that divorce, like seeing mom and dad divorce, and then you came and lived with me and you saw me go through a divorce. Do you feel like maybe that kind of taught young Agnes or sent young Agnes the message that other people can't be trusted? Relationships are not always safe and they're unreliable and they're unpredictable. Therefore, I have to be completely self-sufficient so that I don't fall prey to the unpredictability of a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> as much as I hate to admit that, I I mean, it is it's it's true. I you know, I remember even thinking that when you left, you know, your ex-husband, you know, I was like, fuck, like I don't ever want to go through that. Like I don't <laughs> ever want to trust anybody. I don't ever want to do any of that. In the relationship that I'm in now, I don't really have those fears at all because, you know, everything like my past aside, I do have a very healthy relationship with Patrick. So I don't really have those fears in like kind of a present. Um, it's not a really a present thing in my relationship now, but I think that that maybe ha- has affected me maybe in other ways, too, because more maybe my relationship with myself Maybe I have instilled that fear towards myself where I'm putting pressure on myself. Like you need to take care of yourself. You need to exceed these expectations. Like, you know what I mean? Like don't disappoint yourself. You need to do X, Y, and Z in order for you to be comfortable or happy. And yeah, I think, I think I've, I've been through three divorces, right? I ha- I lived with my mom and dad. They got a divorce. I moved in with you. You got a divorce. I moved in with my brother John and his now ex-wife. They got a divorce. I lived with three different people under the age of 18 and they've all gotten divorces. This that like that has really changed, you know, I've seen what it's like to to rely on someone and then have it have the rug like ripped from beneath your feet and you have to start from scratch you need to start to be independent like you you had to go out and get an apartment remember a little tiny studio apartment <laughs> yeah. like what was it 900 dollars a month <laughs> yeah i think that apartment we, now just fyi because the housing market is so high. I looked at oh, that. I, I checked. Yeah. That unit is like 1400 now. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I know. <laughs> in just a few years. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, it's just scary. Like even living in Illinois with my brother's ex-wife, like she had to really change a lot about her life after realizing or, you know, coming to the decision that they were going to separate. It's like, you now have to make more money. You have to, you know, and it's not even just material, material wise, like not just making more money or having the means material, materially to like survive, but also like mentally, like you have to now mentally train yourself on like, I have to go to work every day. I have to, for you, you had to take care of your kid. Like you have to do all these different things in order to survive independently. And for me, that was scary to look at that. And it's like, I don't ever want to be in that position. I want to be ready so that if someone ever does decide, you know, that that ever was a decision, someone would, would leave me or whatever. And not even just in a relationship, but like, what if I was living with someone and they just up and leave me like, or like, you know, I had a roommate and they just left and I had to cover everything. Like no matter whatever situation, it's like, I want to take care of myself I want to be independent and I I just think it would be like I'd be letting myself down if I like had to go to someone and beg someone to not do that mm-hmm. I should be like oh that's fine I can take care of myself yeah but I'm gonna play devil's advocate for a second <laughs> but I do think that that's part of the human experience, right? Like there, it's inevitable that every single one of us, no matter how successful we are in life, how much money we make in life, how much access to resources we have in life, there's always going to be moments where we need to rely on somebody for something, whether it is for money, whether it is for resources, whether it is just simply a shoulder to cry on for love and support like we all need each other and everybody's going to need that at some point in our life it does not matter what pinnacle you have attained or what a pinnacle you have climbed to we all need each other for different things and different points of life because we're we're human we're, we're part of the human species we're wired for connection and it does make me really sad when I look at society, and especially here in America, just the American culture that we have, this rugged individualism, that to be successful, you have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and you have to, you have to build wealth, and you have to have all of this financial security, and you have to have this certain type of work ethic um, to be successful. And I just feel like that's not the reality and can't be the reality for a lot of people. And so it just makes me really sad when I feel like that's what we strive for. That's because that's the message we're taught, right? That that's what you have to do to be okay. And I think there's a misconception that if you do all these things, if you build wealth, if you're independent because you're financially secure, then you will protect yourself from inevitable disappointment and heartbreak. But guess what? That's like pretty much a given if you're a human. It's going to happen. <laughs> and yes, like I think it's a very nuanced thing. Um, certainly having financial stability, certainly having access to resources and material wealth and money, certainly those things might help in certain ways. They, they certainly help with hardship, but it's not going to save you from heartbreak. It's not going to save you from disappointment. It's not going to save you from getting scurred over by some some asshole at some point in life. I think it's going to happen. And we don't like to sit with that realization. And so, I, you know, something I've been kind of reflecting on a lot as well is, you know, there's independence. Like you think of the spectrum. There's independence on one end. And then there's codependency on the other you know I've been really thinking about codependency a lot myself and because I I feel like there's been this big push 
I've noticed it in my life. There's this big push to be independent, right? Like we're talking about this, like being independent so I don't have to rely on other people. But I just feel like that's also kind of a counterintuitive to how we are as humans. I think that we have to depend on each other for certain things. Um, We're wired for that. We're not meant to be isolated creatures. And we've kind of set up this society and we've structured things around uh, independence being the pinnacle of, of success. But we're really... Um, depriving ourselves of so much love and support and connection with other people. And something that I was also thinking of, because I know in my life, I tend to kind of swing back and forth on this pendulum. Like, oh, I try to be really, really independent. And I kind of get in that mindset. And then I kind of realize that maybe that's not healthy. I'm being way too individualized or or I'm really subscribing to rugged individualism. And then I will swing to the complete polar opposite of like thinking that I need to be solely dependent on other people. And then I realize that really the healthy balance point is in the middle. And I just kind of experience that a lot in my life. I'll subscribe to an ideology or a belief and I'll like grasp onto it and just like pour my heart and soul into it. And and then I'll kind of realize that maybe that I've gone a little bit too far. And then I'll swing to the other end of the, of the pendulum and try living out the complete opposite ideology. Come to the realization that's not healthy. And then realize that it's actually somewhere in the middle. And actually both can be true at the same time. And it's totally contextual. I know I got a little philosophical there. But, but like, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like my brain just like absorbs information as very paradoxical way. Like two opposites can be true at the same time. And I can reach for each of them at any given moment in any day in any situation, just depending on what's accurate. So coming back to the original point I was going to make, because I just went on a long tangent there. I also feel like we were children and dad was the sole breadwinner um, when we were growing up. And mom could only buy groceries with the amount of money that dad allowed her to spend. Mom couldn't spend a dime without getting dad's permission because dad was the one that worked and brought in the money. So mom was solely dependent on dad with any of her spending at all. Any, she had zero financial freedom. So I know for myself, I saw that happen as a child. And I was like, damn, I'm not going to let that happen to me. I had better make sure that I grow up and I have control over my own money, that I have autonomy over how much money I make and how I spend it and what I save. Like, I will not answer to a man with how I'm going to spend my money. So I really kind of learned that lesson. And I feel like I'm I feel like I'm hearing that from you as well, because let's take it even a step further. We learned this lesson of there's this imbalance in the relationship where one person has full control over the money and the other person does not have control over the money. But then let's also add this other layer. The person that has the control over the money is also abusing and harming the person that doesn't have control over the money. So I feel like the lesson I learned was. If you have the money and the control over the money, you can then have power over other people. And then you never have to worry about somebody else having power over you. It's almost like the money bleeds into autonomy and freedom and all the other aspects of our lives. Wow. Maybe that's the issue with millionaires and billionaires. (laughs) Because we do have these people that, you know, it's very easy for people to look at um, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, et cetera, et cetera, and be like, well, they worked really hard for their money. Of course they worked hard for their money. They're smart people. They're very smart people. But just when we're looking at power here, because, you know, you made a really good point about money does equal power in Mm -hmm. the human mind well in the society we've created yes well yeah yes and then and then that mindset infiltrates our minds and we all kind of have that disease well actually now that i'm thinking about it though like just to kind of come back at that 
What about like at the very beginning of time though? Because money was created very early on in history or, you know, it's like exchange or, or what you would use something of value to exchange mm-hmm. that's been like trade that's been around forever. Do you think that the whole concept of money equals power is a natural thing or a societal thing? Mm, I mean, I, I don't know, but I think it's probably a culmination of both. I mean, as humans and I go back and forth with humans, like I really, really, really want to believe that at our deepest core as humans, that deep, deep, deep down in there, we're really, we're good. But then I also look at history and I look at the issues in our world now and it kind of shatters that for me. I question that. I question deep, deep down in our essence, are we good? Like if you strip everything away, are we good? Are we inherently good or are we inherently bad? I've been wrestling with that in my life and I don't know. You know, I, I going back to your question, about, you know, is is it like a societal issue or or is it like a human issue? I don't know. My intuition tells me it's probably both feeding off of each other. Mm. But I don't know. I really have to sit with that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big question. That's, it really is. We're like out here having like a whole like philosophical conversation. Yeah. It's it. It's a big thing because I think right right there, like what the question you just asked, like that is that is a gateway into, you know, like religious beliefs about are we are we fallen? You know, do we have are we born with original sin? Are we fallen? Um, you know, looking at spiritual beliefs, you know, like who are we? Like at our deepest essences, like you know. We have these souls that are good and then we come into this human body on this planet Earth. It's so fucked up. And I think there's and then I think there's like just psychology, like how humans are, like how does the brain work? And um, especially for most people have been traumatized. In fact, we all have been traumatized in different ways. There's so many there's so many like we're at a very interesting intersection here of so many different rabbit holes that one could go down. But I think Mm -hmm. it's I think it's a very loaded topic. And I don't know. And I don't think anyone like really knows the answer to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, for one of my classes, I had to write an essay about um, I don't remember the quote specifically. It was Socrates and some other guy. They were talking about like our is, you know, the the whole concept of something being morally good. Is it morally good because God willed it to be or did God will it because it is morally good? Oh yeah. And I like, even now I'm just like, Oh fuck. I don't even know how I'm going to write this essay. I don't (laughs) even know, but you know, looking at it now, think of all the the religious people, you know, in your life grew up with everybody, you know, you hear stories about this, you know, this person is super holy. They're super religious. They're very devoted to their organized religion. But then some dirt comes up about them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So some shit comes out about something that they did or something that they do, something, you know, mm-hmm. not going to name any names, but there's this family, super religious and I find out that they physically harm their children right does I guess my question is is sin inevitable I mean obviously we in the religious context obviously they say you know everyone's gonna sin as long as you go to confession blah 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 but you have to like work really really hard at not sinning and then that's where, where you come into saints saints are um what's the word issued they're they're they become saints <laughs> because they 
you know, I don't even know what it is. Like they never committed a sin or their souls are pure, whatever, or completely 100% pure. But when you really think about it, like God putting humans on earth, like there's really no way that he would, that there are humans that are perfect in a religious context. I think it's impossible. And I don't think it's true about the saints that they were perfect. I don't I don't think that there was one saint out there that was completely perfect and never sinned, I guess. And I don't even like that word sinned because, well, you know, we were taught that a whole bunch of things were sins that I don't think are actually sins. But I think it's impossible. And I think that maybe we hold up certain saints on a pedestal and assume certain things. But if they were here on this planet in a human body... I'm sorry. It's impossible that you're perfect all the time. Nobody is. And I feel like it sets, I think it sets people up for disappointment when that's the expectation. Let's talk about disappointment because me being in high school and I just to say like when I, at least my sophomore year of high school, I really tried Every, I mean, I you probably had a phase too where you're like, I just need to try. Mm-hmm. Like, I just need to try to conform to this religion, try to just be good, just to scrape by, because I was so afraid of eternal hellfire, like this conditioning, this one programmed in your head. And it's like, oh, I just need to try. And then I, I just felt like I repeatedly disappointed myself or or not even just myself, but like the, you know, the conditioning that I had or the people around me because you would go to confession or you would redeem your soul again and you're like, it's, it's a new chapter, it's a new day, I'm going to try again. And then before you know it, you're like, quote unquote, committing another sin, whatever that may be. And then it's at the end of the day, I'm like, fuck, I failed today. I disappointed myself because I said that I was going to try better at being, you know, this perfect religious person. Yet here I am disappointing myself. But I'm re- what I'm really doing is, I can see this clearly now, is I'm punishing myself for simply having human nature. Mm-hmm. And at a, like with sex... Being a teenager, obviously, you're going to have sexual desire. You're going to want to have sex. You're going to participate in that. And it's a natural thing for all humans, but or most humans. But why have we like put sex on this pedestal that it's wrong outside of marriage or outside of fucking certain positions like whatever the hell they say about it it's like they are demonizing human nature which to me is demonizing god and his creations whoever god may be Mm -hmm. so now that i'm looking at it honestly a lot of these organized religions and their beliefs around sin is a huge slap in the face to God. It's saying, because, I mean, really, really, where is this shit in the Bible, right? I mean, even looking back at the episode with Margie, you know, we really um, unpack what, you know, the sh- what's really wrong with the Bible and how the Bible can be such a great thing, but how, like, we've literally destroyed the Bible and the Bible, half the shit in there isn't even fucking true because humans have really destroyed the real word of God. And now humans have taken God's creation and they've created these things that are wrong about it, these sins, human nature, this and that, this is all terrible. You're going to go to hell. But it's like God created that. Why? Like, who are you to now tell God what he made is morally wrong. Mm. Mm, I love that. (laughs) That's, that's so deep. Yeah. Because 
I think about our basic human needs, okay? Like we need a roof over our head, shelter. We need food to eat. We need water to drink. We need clean air to breathe. These are like the basic, basic, basic things that we need to survive and not die. And that's a whole other tangent because we've created a capitalist society where you have to like be a certain way to even deserve that shit, which fucking makes my blood boil. But I digress. And then we have our sexuality is a very, very primal aspect of being human. And we've taken that, you know, and if I'm going to use the word God here, because that's kind of what we were raised in. And I've been trying to work on getting a little more comfortable with using the name God when speaking about the divine. I'm trying to like reclaim that word <laughs> and have <Yes>. a <laughs> have a different and healthier relationship to it. So when I think about God and God gave us sexuality, why did we have to take sexuality and put all these rules around it and put all of these stigmas on it and put all this shame around it? Like having sex for most humans, sexual desire, the, the urge to have sex is, I mean, pretty much as, as primal and natural as the desire to eat, the desire to drink water, the desire to continue to live. I mean, I, I believe there's actually like scientific evidence that says that sexual desire and is like one of our most primal needs. So why have we done that? Why have we demonized that? And I think that you're right. That's like a slap in the face to God for what he created. Like this is his creation. If we want to, if, if for anyone that wants to subscribe to that, you know, and believe in the, in Genesis and the whole creation story, why are we demonizing what God has given us, what God created? I also wanted to talk a little bit about something you had mentioned about, you know, there's all these things on, on the earth. And, you know, if we want to believe that God created this, and I think that in different spiritual communities, there's, there's different understandings around that. There's different language for, you know, very similar things around how the earth got here and, you know, the, the spiritual lens that we view that through. There's the scientific lens and then there's the spiritual lens that we view all this through. And I like to kind of hop back and forth between both and integrate both of those into my life. But if we're looking at it through the spiritual lens, okay, and we have this planet and we, you know, God or some divine power created all of this and there's evil here too on earth. Things that, things that we do believe are evil, like rape and murder. You know, there's things that are bad because they're harming other human beings. And yet it's here. And this, is kind of, this, is, this, is, this is hard to sit with. But it's like, if God created this earth and there's all these things and there's also murder and rape and like power over other human beings in these terrible ways and these like then God created that too. That's allowed to exist because it's happening. That's very uncomfortable to sit with. And I feel like I'm kind of in this place where there's like this part of me that wants to like fight against that, you know, and believe like, no, we're better than this. Like we're better than this. We're, we're not like murderers and rapists, but it's happening. And I'm like, well, shit, like obviously we're not better than this. <laughs> And then I feel like, but how could God or how could a higher power allow this to happen? And I wonder that. And it's like, well, it's, well shit, it's happening. And I think for me to try to, it's trying to find that balance of like, what can I do to help people? You know, what can I do to be good myself? And I mean, good, not like in the, I'm not going to have sex way because that's all bullshit. I'm, I'm going to have sex. Okay. <laughs> but like, how can I... I how can I be good? Like, how can I have a good moral compass that's centered on respecting myself and respecting and loving and supporting people around me? Okay. Not harming myself, not harming other people. How can I live by that? Like build that moral compass, live by it 
and also have at the same time this acceptance that there is evil in the world and trust and hope and pray that at the end of it all, when we die one day, if the earth ceased to exist, that there was some reason for all of this, that there was some reason that evil had to exist. It must, there must be some reason to it that is really hard to understand. I don't think we can understand it while we're in this human body, but it exists for some reason. And I just have to trust and hope and pray that there's some reason for it. And it's not just evil for this, for no reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think this brings in the topic of the devil or Satan or, you know, however you identify him, but um, I love how you just gendered I the mean, devil as a male. You were gendering <laughs> God as a male. I caught true. that. That's true. I know it's that. That's ca- just natural. It's that Catholicism, you know. It's still kind of like yeah, ingrained still in living there. inside of us. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, well, I mean, whatever that entity is, and whether you believe in it or not, that is completely your spiritual choice, journey, belief, whatever. But I, you know, I, I don't know if this was something I learned through my studies around Buddhism or something I've just kind of made up in my head, but I feel like evil is kind of just a byproduct of humans not listening to their intuition. Ooh. Cause think about it. Like, Now that spirituality, or at least, because spirituality is everything, essentially, but more of, I guess, in the, in the spirituality, like you and I kind of um, stick to, you know, we're a lot more in tune with our intuition, listening to our higher selves, um, really tuning in to like, what is right, what what do we, you know, decisions back to our decision conversation, like whatever that may be. But a lot of people tune that out, especially people in organized religion mm-hmm. tune out their intuition because, you know, oh, I don't need to listen to that voice in my head. I just need to do what what these priests or these people or these, you know, the Bible's telling me I just need to do that instead of listening to this. But I think that that cause like it causes a disaster. It it really causes the energies in our on our earth to just really get out of line and just really start to cause mental illness, mental catastrophe, which then causes people to essentially participate in things like murder rape all that evil shit but now that i'm saying this i'm really now thinking about people that struggle with mental illness on like a more so like non-harmful way towards other people so people that have chronic depression anxiety whatever else that may be i i mean i don't know we're not i'm not a licensed therapist but then that i mean what is, what is that person doing for them to then have that issue? Mm. Do you mean like someone, do you mean like, how? I'm sorry, can you back up and, and repeat the question? I'm, re- I, I'm really diving into like, you know, how people who don't listen to their intuition or they're not really following what they're supposed to be doing, uh, how that can cause mental issues which then results in people going fucking crazy and like becoming rapists or psychopaths or whatever mm-hmm. but then also look at the I'm, I'm now contradicting myself <laughs> but now I'm looking at another another spectrum of people who really suffer from more milder but still impactful ways of mental illness so people that have chronic depression anxiety bipolar OCD all of that you know, they don't want to hurt anybody. And I'm sure, and you know, even myself, who I've really suffered from a lot of mental illness, like is someone who suffers from mental illness, are they really 
doing something wrong in their life for them to have that issue? I don't think so, but I think it's a very complex and loaded concept because I know for myself that I have anxiety, kind of like what we were talking about at the very beginning when we first got on. Like I have a lot of anxiety today. I also have gotten to a place of self-awareness where I know what kinds of things will, like what, what things I do or don't do in my day that can make my anxiety worse. And I also know what kinds of things I can do to help my anxiety calm down a little bit. So I think there's a little bit of accountability and some responsibility that I do have over it. However, how did I get anxiety in the first place? You know, like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Was I just born with a really anxious nervous system? Or has life beat me around enough that I just have developed anxiety as a coping mechanism to keep myself safe? It's very nuanced, I think. Maybe it's more of like an ancestral trauma sort of thing, because someone who lives a life where they have completely bypassed all spiritual signs of listening to their intuition or living the life that they were destined to live, you know, that may not direct them firsthand, but then that's passed on through their descendants. Mm. And maybe that's why we struggle or anybody else who has more of like a mild, not like psychopath you know, they're, they're, I'm just kind of breaking up into two different uh, forms of mental illness. You have like the severe, mm-hmm. severe people that are really causing harm to other people. And then the people who struggle from more. You got what I'm saying? Like the normal. Yeah. Like the chronic yeah, shit that we all kind yeah. of struggle with depression, anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's just a byproduct of like ancestral trauma. I don't I, know. I think we really digged ourselves a grave here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're talking about some very deep stuff. And, you know, I love these conversations because it's like once you get down this deep, it's like, you know, I, I think there's so much paradox here. And I love paradox. I, I love things where it's like, yes, and also yes to this, too. And this it's like, yeah, it's all like, again, multiple things can be true at the same time. Sometimes things that seem contradictory can be true at the same time in different ways. Um, I love that. And I wish that I wish that we could all kind of get to that place and kind of step outside that paradigm of right or wrong or black or white or the right decision or the bad decision that's going to fuck up my life. <laughs> Look at that full circle. Wow. Boom, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah. I think ooh, there was something else you said too that I wanted to speak about. And it was about how we've lost touch with our intuition, how we have become disconnected from ourselves, disconnected from our intuition, disconnected from our higher power. And could that be part of what causes so much suffering in the world and so much evil in the world? I do believe, yes, I do believe that there is a part of that, of that that is true. We have really, especially in organized religion, we have really created or turned giving our power over to others. We've turned that into a virtue. And I think that is harming ourselves. I think that is harming our community. I think that is slapping God in the face. Because I firmly believe, and I know you do too, that we are God incarnated into this body, in this third dimension, on this planet Earth. We are a piece of God. If he created us, we are him or her. We are God. And so when we give our power away to somebody else and call it a virtue, that is disrespecting God. 
So yes, I yeah. do. I do think that the question you asked about, you know, when we become disconnected from our higher power, when we give that power away, when we're not following our intuition, um, yeah, I think that that can lead to a lot of the suffering and destruction we have in the world. I think it can lead us to experience different mental illnesses. I think that's a part of it. I think that that is a very real component to the issue. Yeah. Also, maybe God is a they, them. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) That was just channeled through my soul. (laughs) Must be true, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? All right. Well, I think... I think that brings us to a good closing of the conversation. So Margaret, what are you grateful for today? Ooh, well, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for my ability as I touched on earlier to be able to recognize when I'm feeling really anxious, like we had talked about earlier to, to, really go into my body and feel how anxiety is manifesting in my body and feeling that pressure on my chest and watching and witnessing the racing thoughts. And I really am grateful for my ability to witness all of that and then be able to take the right steps to be able to help myself to feel a little better. Like earlier today, when I was really in that space, I went to the gym and I worked out and you know how much I hate cardio, but you know what? (laughs) (laughs) I got on the bike and I like cranked up that resistance and I just like pedaled it out as fast and as hard as I could for like 15 minutes. And that for me, like cardio for 15 minutes is like unheard of. Like I hate cardio. I can maybe make it to 10 on a good day. And I was like sweating and I just, you know what? I just had to beat the shit out of my body. And I say that not like in a, not in an abusive way, but in a very kind and compassionate way, way. Like, like, Hey Margaret, like, like you're not feeling good today. You're, you're feeling all this pressure in your body and your, your, your head's racing. And you know, there's all this, this energy in your body and we need to move through it. And it's not going to feel good, but I promise you're going to feel better at the end. <laughs> and hey, yeah. you know what? It worked. So I'm just grateful for that. Being able to like catch my thoughts and be able to take the appropriate actions to help myself be more grounded and in a better space. Yeah. How about you, Agnes? What are you grateful for today? I'm grateful that today is my day off from work. <laughs> <laughs> because... Because I, this morning, I I knew that I was going to have more of an unemotionally challenging day. And I was just like so mad about that. Like I'm mad about, or not mad, but I'm already struggling a little bit. And then on top of that, I'm like, you seriously have to be all emotional today. Like, (laughs) um, (laughs) but I'm, I'm grateful that I'm having this day today when I don't have to go into work. I don't have to talk to anybody except for you. I'm grateful that, that it kind of played out and, um, again, that I have this, you know, this space, I have you where I can, we can really unpack a lot of this because this has really opened up a lot of, um, mental clarity for me. So I can continue my day without feeling like I don't feel as much pressure on my chest anymore. So yeah, that's what I'm grateful for. Aww. <laughs> We believe in the power of taking even one minute a day to breathe and find gratitude in the little things. Wherever you are, if you are able, close your eyes, take a deep breath in and out, and reflect on something that you are grateful for today. We are so honored that you could join us in this discussion today, and we hope you have a beautiful week.
If you enjoyed today's Unrefined Woman podcast episode, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. To check out other episodes, please visit our website at unrefinedwoman.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. To stay in the loop and receive access to additional content, please follow us on TikTok, username unrefinedwoman, and on Instagram at unrefinedwomanpodcasts. Special thanks to Walter Birdsong for the album cover, Margaret Rainey for our podcast music, Andrew Cioni for our gratitude prompt music, and Sean Butcher for editing and production. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>